scenario where that pioneer man is going to go out and kill a mule deer to feed his family, that's an offensive mission. And the, and getting that done is all that matters, right? Mm -hmm. Because if he doesn't get that done, then they don't get to eat. You see uh, what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it doesn't really matter if he breaks his toe on the way because he climbed the rock wrong. He doesn't, who he doesn't care about that. <laughs> In this episode, I have the honor to interview a great friend, father, husband, and last but not least, veteran. In our conversation, Jesse will share a few stories from his life that will include memories about our college days together, the importance of family, and how he dealt with his past trauma. Thank you, and enjoy this episode. Decided. <laughs> Better here, known. Here with Gabe. Better known as Jesse Conway. Yeah. Um, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure. You're guest number two. That's fantastic. I like um, it. I feel honored. And this is a very special episode as well, just um, for for the journey that we have come on. Right. And man, just how, and we'll talk about it in the episode, just how you kind of helped me grow as a, a young man in the world and <sighs> oh, using your maybe. life experiences to If we're lucky, help. I didn't screw you up too bad. <laughs> if we're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but um, yeah, so if you don't mind, uh, for our audience, if you can just kind of tell the people um, kind of who you are and you can kind of start with your story of kind of where it all started, you know, as the the child, Jesse. Uh, okay. Oh, goodness. This is okay. Let's see if I can go back that far. Um, yeah. Jesse from the upstate of South Carolina, Greenville. Um, like a lot of, I guess, a lot of people, divorced parents. Uh, played football. I was a football player. That was who I was my whole life, you know. So that's how I defined myself for like 12 years. <clears throat> and then football ended. Then it was like, oh, okay. Um, so it was one of those opportunities to take the definition of myself and kind of abstract up a level and go, mm -hmm. football player is an athlete, so I'm an athlete. So then I'll just figure out how to do stuff in that regard. So then I became a cheerleader. I called the Charleston. Go Cougars. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then from there, after graduating there, it was – I, I stuck with the athletic theme. Obviously, I was athletic trainer, and then I ended up graduating in, with a degree in exercise science and did not want to go to grad school. So uh, the Army came a-calling. <clears throat> and I had two brothers in the Army, younger brothers at the time. And so I was like, well, I'll go do that. And so I became a helicopter pilot. Flew helicopters <clears throat> for, well, I was in the Army for 10 years. About half of that time I was flying helicopters. About half of that time I was flying a desk. And then while I was in, of course, met my wonderful wife, Tina, and we had uh, our daughter, Isabella. And um, when I got out of the Army, I uh, had the opportunity to go back to Clemson, to go back to school again. <laughs> so I went to Clemson. And then uh, landscape architecture grabbed my attention when I was looking at all the classes. I was like, I don't know what that is, but it has to do with landscape things. And that sounds fun. So um, I still don't know what landscape architecture is. <laughs> Even after the degree in it. <clears throat> it's a very broad topic. Um, and... Um, yeah, and then while we were there, I mean, day one, you and I met, right. and you thought I was a teacher's assistant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, and I could just talk about how, yeah, we met uh, at Clemson, where, um, like Jesse was mentioning, yeah, I thought he was a TA. He had this, like, man bun, you yeah. know, with the shaved sides. I did. My wife um, and the full beard, like he has now, and I just, he was the only one standing up when our professor was giving us a lecture. So I was just like, maybe he's just like the TA. <laughs> just a weirdo. Just the old weird guy. <laughs> but so then he had like a real serious demeanor. So I was just like, you know, as um, 
you know, college kids or just kids at all, if somebody has more serious demeanor, like, all right, we have to give them some, like, adult, you know, respect, I guess. <laughs> and so, oh, gosh. oh, gosh. But, um, yeah, we, uh, so that's when we initially met. And then what was really unique about that moment was after our, uh, our class wrapped up, our first class wrapped up, I had, we were on our way out and I dropped my, uh, I had a, some type of bracelet on and he picked it up and I, disclaimer, I also thought Jesse was like a douche in the sense that you're like, you know how you see in the movies, he's far from that. But I just thought, cause he had the, uh, the aesthetic, you know, um, but you know, that's just judging a book by its cover. And that proved to be far from the truth. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> but, um, Breaking so, down barriers, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never told Jesse that. Uh, but, no, uh, <laughs> I didn't do that. That's funny. I get it, though. A man bun. I mean, all the looks. You're like, God, this is what kind of hipster-looking motherfucker is this? I get it. Excuse my language. And um, so, but it's it's fun to uh, <clears throat> to break down those expectations and be like, look like one thing and be something. The first time that happened to me was in high school. <laughs> Uh, it was senior year. I was talking to this girl. We were in biology, and her and I had never really talked much. And we were just, I don't even know what the conversation was. We just had a quick conversation in class. And then she ended the conversation with, I always thought you were an asshole, but you're actually a really nice guy. Again, she was just judging the book. She's like, that guy just looks like a total <laughs> football player. Does all, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, but that's fun. I love that. Yeah, so it was really <laughs> ironic, too. So when I dropped my, my bracelet, no, he... Um, he picks it up and he's like, and then he gets my attention and I was just like, Oh, he's actually pretty kind dude. And that small gesture. Right. But that really kind of, you know, kindness always kind of rules when, you know, we, we live in a world full of, you know, a holes and people who are not so pleasant. Right. <laughs> That's true. Well, I, <laughs> kill him with kindness right and if you can't kill him with kindness get an axe name it kindness and kill him with kindness <laughs> <laughs> right for sure um, so that kind of started it and then what really kind of submitted i would say our initial like relationship as friends um and classmates was his desk we were picking our desk and hit where his desk was was across from mine and um he would just be in there just working like long, long hours. Yeah. And, I, and I can't I have a sport background too. And we, in the episode, we'll cover some of that too, of how that kind of just connected some of our experiences. But um, yeah, I was just like, man, I don't want anybody to outwork me, <laughs> you know, and even in studio. So it was applying that same uh, work ethic and mentality to like academia, you can, have, you can say. And um, even though that was an adjustment, that was kind of one thing that was like, man, this guy's in here like longer than I am. And it kind of just motivated me. And you can kind of talk about how, like, well, like your reasoning or how that came about when you were just. Yeah. Well, the first year I was there, um, my family was still down in Georgia. So they were like five hours away. And um, I guess once you be like, once you, <laughs> you kind of define yourself as a dad and a father, like that takes up so much of your space that, um, you don't really know what to do with, uh, you know, it's just, it's who you are. And so, um, when, when I wasn't with them, it was like, I'm just going to fill up the space with the one thing that I know I can do. And that's just work. And I'm just going to put it in, spend a bunch of hours down here and get it done. <clears throat> Start off strong at least, you know, and then that worked out because by the end, my, by the end of graduate, by the time we graduated, my family was up here. I had a family. We were living in Spartanburg, had the house updating it. So there was a lot going on. And so that upfront effort, um, one, it set a tone, 
you know, and kind of an expectation, but to it, um, I don't know, it just kind of solidified in early, like this guy, you know, he's, you know, he's going to put it, he's at least going to work hard. He may not, his drawings might be ugly and <laughs> his ideas might be stupid, but he's going to put a lot of work into those stupid ideas. Um, and so, yeah, that's, for me, it was just, I, I didn't know what else to do, you know, really, without my family. So it was work out and work. So, yeah, and eat when you can. Yeah. I lost I, a lot of weight. I was down <laughs> to like 170 pounds at that point. Yeah, and yeah, mm. to that he also uh so that really kind of inspired me to really work harder because academia working harder in sport is different you know you got to apply yourself different 100%. so i was still learning that and i think i was actually placed on like academic probation that semester so that was like <laughs> i have no choice <laughs> you know don't wait until you're on academic probation right. to really um you know flip the switch and you know do what you got to do in the classroom or in what environment you're in so that just kind of motivated me. I was like, man, I can't let him work outwork me. Well, and- that was that was that was kind of serendipitous, I guess. It's like you needed, I guess you needed to be like how, because I I remember being like that when when I was going through college the first time. As after being an athlete, the idea of putting in physical and still to this day, putting in physical labor is just easier than trying to put in mental labor. And so, if I have the choice of like I could go up and read emails, or I could go out in my yard and move mulch around, or rocks, or dig like. I'm really tempted. Most of the time I end up just going outside, you know, and just putting in the physical labor still to this day. But, um, so I, I get that completely. Uh, but that's the cool thing about school and that structure <laughs> around it is like, you can just go, well, if I just give in to this structure and it says, put your work into your, to your, your mental and your, um, your mental capabilities, um, then you, it's pretty cool what, what can happen. Yeah. And it was profound too, just how you, like, I think most of us, cause Jesse was, far much older than a lot of us in our class and so his mindset was different and perspective of course but um it didn't seem like he was just coming in to make friends or to like lollygag it seemed he was really intentional (laughs) and he was like man i have no other options like that's what kind of uh translated to me where i was just like this guy's in here like see well that's (laughs) that's what college should be and i think there's there's the 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 trap out there and i'm not the first one to say this but the trap is if you want to be successful you have to go to college and that's like half true because if you want to be successful uh, one of the ways to do that is to intentionally go to school to learn a skill that will translate into success but just going to clemson and getting a degree is does not like it it really doesn't mean like it, it doesn't mean you're going to be a, a billionaire. You know what I mean? That that's a that's a but it it can um. But you can you can learn a tool. You can acquire a tool, I should say, or learn a skill at and and you can if you do that intentionally, that's smart. Recently, I told my daughter she was, she's like, you know, math in school. And, ah, I hate it, and I don't know if one you know, but she's doing great. She's making A's, uh, making one B. She's at 89 in math. She's very angry about that. She's like one point from an A. <laughs> Um, but she'll get there. <clears throat> but she's pushing herself in math. She had the opportunity to stay back in, like, I guess the CP math or whatever they call it. It's just kind of the normal math. Um, or to move up into Algebra 1. And she took the opportunity to move up to Algebra 1, knowing it was going to be more difficult. And I told her, if you make a B in Algebra 1, I, pref- I prefer that to an A in an easier math. So let's just do that. And um, and it's, it's fun to watch her work her little tail off. It's really <laughs> She really tries hard, and she really takes it seriously. Um, but she was like, kind of all she was frustrated she's like i don't know if i want to go to college you know when i graduate and i said look i i only want you to go to college if you know what you want to go to college for if you graduate and you're like i don't really know what i would do there don't go and, and that's i think that's true for everybody if you don't know like you can go out in the world 
You can go join the army. You can go get a job over here. You can try to build yourself as a plumber. You can do all kinds of things. And then somewhere along the lines, you're going to go, well, if I had this specific education, it would help me with the thing I like to do and expanding it. And then you have the opportunity to go back on purpose with drive and with reason. Um, and sometimes I think for a lot of people, like I think for, I think a lot of, I like a lot of guys in, in particular, um, you're, I can only speak for men. How about that? Your whole world changes when you have the family, right? And it's like, you actually have a, you go from, when I joined the army, I didn't really, living or dying, I was like, I don't, like, I would happily sacrifice myself mm. if it meant, that, you know, saving, like, it was like, that's just, I don't have anything to live for anyway. So like, it just, it, not like negatively, it was just, but when you have a family, you go, now I got a reason to like, like, I'll still go out and sacrifice myself if I have to, but like, I, I want to do more. I have a reason to live instead of, you know, something to die for, I have something to live for as the cliche kind of yeah. goes. And so it, you can apply that to college as well. It's like you, you go out and you get a family and you go, now I have a reason to work hard and learn this skill and be good at it. As opposed to, I did this because everyone goes to school. Well, you all go to college when you graduate and you all get a degree and that's what we all do. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, that's a waste of college. Right. Yeah, go when you when you have something intentional, um, or figure it out while you're there, like you did, <laughs> right? And and you you figured out how to like you were there, kind of like, you know lost and like I don't know this and I'm trying that. And you're trying lots of things, and you know kind of you know, uh, we could say the Lord or serendipity, the universe, <laughs> whatever was was like here. Here's a here's a here's a few factors that if maybe you pay attention to them, um, you can get out of academic probation and. And then have a straight A. You had a, your first straight A semester. Was it that one or the next one? It was yeah, one of those. That one I got one B in the studio. I was right. really mad about that because the final <laughs> grades released. I'm just like, I'm a failure now for this one, for B. This one B. You I went want... from uh, yeah academic academic <laughs> like suspension almost right to being like I suck because I made a B. Yeah, right? that's a big change. That's a that's a dramatic change in a person. So yeah. And yeah. then you then you had a it was one of those I remember you, you had your first straight A semester was somewhere in the in the lark it was one of those right am, am yeah I, it was either my second or third year yeah. and I think I did it twice in my whole like time in my undergrad but um yeah that was a really uh a, a, a drastic transformation um yeah but again I think it's because you felt like you had to one yeah. you, you felt like you had to <laughs> and two you felt like you had someone an example you felt like that you could look at on how to how for you, like how you could make it work, right? Someone else may look at the way I did it and they're like, that's stupid. That's too much work. He does, you know, whatever, you know, but you were like, I, I can follow that example. And that's, so I think that those two factors, right. Of like, I want to change and where's an example I can look at on how to change. Um, that that's really all you need. You know, mm. you got to have a want to, and you got to have an example of what that looks like, which is cool for the internet because there you can, well, you, well, the internet's nice because you can find the example of how to and how they, you can find lots of examples of how not to. Um, but then you got to make sure that what you're going for, I guess, is, I don't know, what the change that you want is a legit, is a, is a good change to make. And I think environment also plays a key role in yeah. that where, you know, that B is like, you know, there's this kind of narrative out there, how competition can be bad, you know, but I think there's positive and negatives to anything, especially competition. And, I wouldn't say I was looking at it as competition, but I, I guess I was coming from a sport background. I was like, man, my classmates, they're applying the, themselves. And so it became kind of a contest for me. And right. I remember sitting in the, our first studio and um, the professor was like just pinning up 
um, some of our classmates work right. and stuff like that. She didn't choose mine, mm. you know, and right. I was really like, <laughs> what the? my work is not, <laughs> is it not good enough? You know, right. like what's going on? But that helped me to just have a chip on my shoulder or continue to bring that chip out of my chip off my shoulder. Um, to, so I can apply it, you know, to my, my student, my classwork. And, um, I don't know. It's just like stuff like that where I'm just like, man, I, I just gotta, I gotta compete. I gotta, right. but I would say to those who are listening to this, it's good to have those who are like pushing you. You can say indirectly or directly with just the standard of work or having pride in your work that, you know, takes you to new heights. And then once you build that rhythm or mm -hmm. pattern, yeah, you kind of just like coast, but it's not say like everything is easy, but you kind of have this kind of, um, you kind of have this rhythm of just working hard, putting right. in long hours. You've created a groove and you can slide down that groove whenever you want, right? Right. Yeah. And it's going to be a lot of frustration. You know, we've had plenty of yeah. times where we're like, we're questioning, what is this? You know, what's yeah. the point? Oh, I almost walked out. One point. I don't want to do this fucking shit anymore. I'm done with y'all. At one point, I was like, I just, not y'all, but this whole thing. I, like, <laughs> I don't want to do any of this anymore. And then you just kind of go, no, that's not, that's not the right answer. Sit down. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that happens. It happens for sure, and it's frustrating. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I forgot about that, and you saying that was really like a pivotal moment because you were you were one of the ones in our class too that had a, a pretty mild temperament and yeah. somebody who was like not easily flustered by things. But especially you, became, you were flustered in senses where you were trying to like either perfect something or really figure out something real intricate that right. you could apply to your work. But that that one time when you stormed out, mm -hmm. I was just like. This is so not like Jesse, you <laughs> yeah. know, in a way, but it was just like, wow. Well, it's one thing, like, well, the pressures are different. Well, they, as the, as my time at Clemson continued, the pressures just mounted, you know, um, because it wasn't just like the first year it was just school, you know, and the pressure was, I'm not around my family and that sucks. But th what, what I can do when it w is just focus on school and then that makes the time go by and whatnot. Um, and then when my family comes up, it's like, well, then there's a house and there's a house I have to maintain um, that I have, that I'm, you know, and that I'm there every day. And then there's the daughter needs to go to school. And so there's all, and then Clemson was, you know, almost two hours away for an hour and a half or whatever driving. So there was just, the pressures increased. And that, that day it was like, like, why did, why I don't even need to fucking do, why am I doing this? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. this is such a, um, like, I, why am I, like, I've got other things that I would rather be concerned with at my house that are an hour and a half away. Right. And so it's like this, why am I putting so much, effort into this fucking thing right um that's which, and, yeah and, and, which is hard because i'm competing for what's the most important thing in my life um and it and like at times you gotta go well, when you're at school school has to be the most important thing but it's like the, the family's always yeah and same again like with that <laughs> your perspective because i just clicked where most of us like who are around like the typical college age we were in it like school is everything we were validated by our grades and jesse on the other hand it's not like he already had the real world to really like coincide with the college world of, right. or the his mm -hmm. second or third time in college <laughs> to balance that because we were in there just like, man, this is my life or I can right. speak for myself or just like, this is what it is. But Jesse, on the other hand, had you had that other like in where you had a whole family, you mm -hmm. were having to provide for them and make sure they're all good and mm -hmm. deal with um, all the other adulting things that most college kids don't have to deal with. So I think, right. would you say that played a big For sure. Role? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, yeah, when you have, well, it allows you to look at school and you go, 
if I make a, if I make a C on this project, like that sucks and I worked hard and I don't want that or whatever. Um, but it like, like, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's not actually the end of the world. Right. And you can think, well, remember that time my kid made a C on a thing and she got all upset and I told, what did I tell her? I told her, Hey, it's not the end of the world. Like <laughs> you, you can do better next time. And all those things are real and they're harder to, they're harder to think those thoughts when you're in an emotional state. But it what, but if you've had to give that advice to your own child, then it's a lot harder to not listen to that advice that, you know, it's like you have to kind of actively not listen to what you told your kid. And then you got to be like, and then part of you is going, well, that's pretty stupid because it was actually like the right advice. Like, yeah, you made a C on a thing or yeah, you missed a this, but tomorrow the sun's going to rise and you're going to have a chance to make a B or an A on the next thing. So just, but if you, but, and this is where people, this is like post-traumatic stress syndrome in a, in a microcosm, because if you stay wrapped around that C, then you just like the, a, a part of you will be left just circling that C maybe for 40 years. Mm. Right. Because you just couldn't let go of that one time you did the thing, you know? <laughs> and so, um, I think in that, I mean that not necessarily that trauma, but that similar pattern is what leads to, you know, bad behavior, negative, negative behaviors in someone. Maybe they're trying to drink that thought away. Right. Cause maybe it wasn't a C, maybe it was a time they were driving as a teenager and they didn't see someone jump down in front of them and they ran them over their car and they accidentally killed somebody. Right. And now to, in order to not think about, because they can't let that go. They can't forget. They can't put it behind them. So, you know, well, let's just try to some alcohol and we'll just rub that shit out. You know, we're just not <laughs> going to feel those feelings. Um, and then that just snowballs, right? Things like that. So, um, but so what that, what, what I like about that is you can take this little thing that's a C in a, in a grade. And especially if you have like a seven year old child who's in first grade, right? It's the end of their world, but you know, it's not the end of the world. And so you can have that same kind of, let me show you how to leave trauma behind. And that's going to prepare you for when something more traumatic happens next year when uh, Billy pulled your hair instead of <laughs> giving you a hug. And that was traumatic, right? And you, and you learn how to, I can leave traumatic things behind me. I can look at them, learn from them and move on. Um, you have to, you got to coach that from the beginning. Mm. And, it, and it's much easier to do that when they're four or five than when they're 18. If you try to start that when they're 18, like it, there's a lot, they, then you have, then they have to want to make them change, right? Cause you never showed you never showed somebody or they never learned how someone at that age has to want to do it at a little age. They're just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and so you can, you know, they'll just do whatever you want them to do. Um, most of the time, not all the time. Of course they are. Kids don't always do what you want them to do, but right. a lot of, yeah, you can use those opportunities. You can show them the way. You can. <laughs> you can. You can do it when it when the consequences really don't matter. Right. Yeah. And I remember you talking about that too, because um, a lot of parents that I know or even my own, you know, they want to protect us so much mm -hmm. that we don't get to learn those hard lessons. Right. You yeah. know, that essentially transform the way we view the world or view making good and bad decisions. Yes. Well, there's a safety first mentality. And I think that's, I think that's, I think that's a real mentality. And I think it's understandable in, in times. And I also think it's a very feminine mentality, just from a very like symbolic perspective, talking like, you know, 30,000 foot view. And I think there's a mission first mentality. And, and those two things. And what I think what happens is well, the safety, the safety first mentality. And, and it's funny in the army, when I was in the army, that was you'd hear it, safety first, safety first, safety first, and I kind of grew up in that. And then finally one day, after about eight years in or whatever, heard this guy goes, "That's stupid. It's mission first. 
Mm. And he's like, that, he's like, we're not in, we're not in the world of safety. We're in the military. Like it's not a safe world that we live in. So you can't, so the idea that safety is the most important thing is like, well, people are shooting at me and I have to train for that. So that's not safe inherently. Right. So, so you have to go mission first and then men and then safety. I think safety third, you put safety third and, mm. um, because it, and, but again, I think that's, that's more of a masculine men mentality and the feminine mentality, because it's more of a, it's, it's got this very defensiveness to it. It's, um, the, the, the pioneer woman out on the prairie is going to, she's going to defend her home because the man had to go out on a really kind of an offensive mission, either to go fight some Indians or he had to go kill a mountain lion or get some food or whatever. Right. So you get this more of offensive and in that, in that scenario where that pioneer man is going to go out and kill a mule deer to feed his family. That's an offensive mission. And the, and getting that done is all that matters. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if he doesn't get that done, then they don't get to eat. You see what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. And so it doesn't really matter if he breaks his toe on the way because he climbed the rock wrong. He doesn't, who he doesn't care about that. <laughs> he, like, and so, it, and so the mission comes first and then you got to think about safety. It's not like no safety because then you'll die out there trying to kill the mule deer, but it can't be the first thing because then you'll never accomplish your mission. Um, so the proper balance of that is something as an individual we get up. I think everyone has to figure out how to do. And then collectively, um, and the greatest, what I, that's what marriage kind of is, right? It's just like you take this kind of feminine, energy and this masculine energy and you go put those things together and see how you can you know uh, build a thing with kind of opposing forces and um and the thing that's created is the marriage right it's not the people it's it's that third kind of tension between them um so uh, but then you can take going on up to society society can have a very safety first everyone's got to wear a seat belt and if we can't you know the rules and we got to put we can do that but it's not going to make where while you're putting safety first, you're not accomplishing whatever mission. And maybe that's because we don't know what our mission is as a, as a country, right? We don't know. But if you're putting safety first, your mission is sacrificing, probably. Yeah, and I can see that because safety it can almost, um, it almost can like blur your thinking. Yeah, there's no, li there's no limiting factor. You're like, well, when do we stop? Because like, if we're going to be completely safe, just don't go anywhere. We'll have all the food delivered by drones, and when nobody has to go outside and deal with the pollen, and you know. But then you're just going to have everybody with grass allergies, and people will go outside and die because the grass made them hives, right? And it's like, so you 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 have to exposure is a thing too, you know. And so I think that's an, I, I, again, this is my opinion as a man. So it's, it is a very masculine thing. I get it, but I but I think. If you're a married man, you can kind of go, well, yes, I can expose my children to things like weapons and guns. Like, I'm going to take you to the range, and you're going to learn how to do and use this dangerous thing. We're going to do it in a safe way, and you are going to learn how to use this, you know, how to use this thing correctly. And that's where skill and things happen. Otherwise, it's just uh, just pretend and playing. It's just, you know, you're not, I don't know, it's, you're not getting anything out of it. Yeah, that is, that's pretty, yeah, pretty profound. Um and all I hear in that too is just life application. Mm -hmm. I think to like kind of connect it back with like our our mentality when we were in school. Mm -hmm. I think you did a great job just reminding us of that, especially reminding me and our, you know, we had we had extensive conversations we just about everything in life. But I think for me, I would say college um, taught me how to learn. You know, because <laughs> yeah, I think that's the most important thing. That I think there was a time when. I don't know if this is still true, but Floor Daniel over here in Greenville, or just Floor now, um, they didn't care 
I was I was given an offer right before I joined the army. Like, you have a college degree? I said yes. They said I can. Like, I don't care what it's in. I can have you in Russia making a hundred thousand dollars a year in like uh, three weeks, just because I know you know how to learn, right? So crazy. you went to school, you you went to university, you sh you showed everyone I have the capability to sit down and learn a skill, um, and so we can use that skill, and then we'll just teach you what we need you to do, and then you go and you do it. Um, and so there is. Wait, if, there, if there is a meta skill to school, the, it's like learning how to learn, like l figuring out how to intake knowledge and learn things. Um, and yes, yeah, so you could in, you could go to school not knowing what you want to do and walk <laughs> away with, well, now I know how to learn things. But that's a skill that's, it's not a skill that will get you paid in and of itself. You have to take that and be like, well, now I learned how to do this thing that then pays me this money. And then, um, and also what university does, it teaches you how to learn things on your own right so then if you get out in the real world and you're like i need to learn how i want to be a photographer i need to learn how to do photography then you have you know you have the skills to teach yourself how to do photography to a point um and that so that's a useful skill but you can get that skill in high school really yeah and i think too high like college is the second high school i believe right? it is it is and it's meant to, and, and it's a lot of fun and it's parties and you know and um and there is a, and I, and I said this a lot of times while I was there, is I could focus also on school so much because I wasn't there for the social aspect of it. I wasn't there to go to the parties and do that stuff. I did that already. And so I didn't have, that wasn't like a third wheel that I had to deal with. I could just do the school part. Um, I think if college was taken more seriously, that's what college would be. Instead of just being like where the Amish go off for a year and party and do all the things. That's kind of what college is like. It's like, just go be wild for four years and maybe learn something. And then we'll try to figure out what to do with you when you get out. Um, which is not really a non-serious way of looking at what the university is supposed to be. You know, if you think back to what, I mean, the roots of the, of the university, it, was, it, it wasn't for everyone. And it was only for people that like... Well, there are, there are only so many skills you're going to learn in a university, and only so many people would be able to use those skills in a way that was productive. Most people were just hands-on things, right? And those are skills also, and they get left behind. But you can be a millionaire and be a plumber for sure, mm. right? That, like, you just, like, it's – but there are certain things that if you – that millionaire plumber who, like, built a business and made this big – that same guy, if you put him in the university system and he were wanting to dedicate himself to that, he would – be an A student and you know, it's just a knowing how to work and how to put in the effort. And then also a want to, you know, uh, you got to want to, and that's, that's, you got to want to. Yeah. And I'm still <clears> thinking of, I'm curious about, you never told me that story about the floor, Daniel. So mm. did you deny the job? Yeah. <laughs> so what was your like logic in that? Cause I know somebody was like, what you said, what, 100? It's 100, 100, 100K. Yeah. This was back in, I guess, 2005. Um, so that's like 300, 400 now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Biden numbers. Um, <laughs> no, so at that point, I had already put in about three months of work to try to get into the Army and go to flight school. Because um, so there's, there's, everyone takes the ASVAB when they get in, and that just kind of tells you, like, it's basically an IQ test. And, and if you have, you know, if you're like um, – below 19 they're like go to the infantry <laughs> that, that's it <clears throat> and then they just kind of bring it up in there <clears throat> making fun of infantry, infantry guys um you can also be one of the really smart guys and go in the infantry that definitely happens but um and so they just kind of rank and they go if you don't have this score then you can't do these jobs so that's the first thing you take and then 
if you want to be a pilot, of course, you got to score one on the higher realm of that. But then you have to take a, a, a second test. Uh, they call it, they used to call it the AFAST. It's a new name now. And it's an aptitude test specifically designed to see if you have kind of the spatial coordination to be a pilot. So it's, um, it's just and then some other like specific pilot knowledge. But really, it's not about that. Um, and so that's your second test. If you pass that, then you have to do two different physicals. And then you got to get through both. And they're looking at eyes and ears, literally everything. Um, and then if they, if you're physically fit, then they go, okay, now you can actually going to, now you're going to sign the contract that says you're going to actually go and, and do the thing, which is what I liked about the army. Everyone else was like, you sign a contract saying you're coming in. <clears throat> if you're lucky, you get to do what you want, but you're mm. going to do whatever we need you to do. You know? And the army was like, if you want to be a pilot, when you sign the piece of paper, you're going to go to flight school, whether you pass, whether you fail, that's not up to us, but you, you know, you're going to go and have the opportunity to be a pilot. So that's why I went with that, went with them. Wow. So it was just kind of all the work that you had put and in. You were yeah. like, that trade-off, I don't know, the money sounds good, but I think maybe it comes down to your motivation. I'd already kind of committed myself to the mm -hmm. Army. Um, and, and and the guy I was talking to was, kinda, was a family friend. He was higher up in the world. He had been in the Marine Corps. He understood this, like, you know, service thing. Um, like I said, I had two younger brothers in the Army. At that point, I think they were both actually deployed to Iraq. And mm. so it was like, I can't <laughs> – like, there are too many factors <laughs> – like if I walked away from this, I would definitely just I'd like I think I'd regret this, and as an opportunity to to serve my country, to you know do something cool like fly helicopters, mm -hmm. um, and then I can't let my younger brothers do something more dangerous than me. That's not gonna happen. So one of them did. One of them was infantry, um, and so and he, yeah, he's been in real gunfights and really killed people, and he's done some and 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 that kind of stuff. Um, it's not easy on anybody, so and it wasn't easy on him. Uh, but he's doing better. Um, and then had another brother who was a mechanic, and he was. And, but when you're a mechanic in Iraq, he would tell me stories. You're surrounded by tall buildings, and so you're taking sniper fire in the motor pool all the time. Uh, in some ways, I kind of feel like I, I chickened out and went, I just went elevated, you know. Um, uh, but you know, it, that's just, I don't, who knows what that is. Um, so I, yeah, flying was fun. It was it was a good job, and and I couldn't quit. I couldn't back out because of one the work that I put in, two the work that my recruiter had put in. Like he had really worked hard and put in a lot of work to make sure I was everything was was a hundred percent ready to go. He was a really good recruiter. Um, I, like I didn't feel like I got lied to by him. When you, that's the <clears throat> the joke when you're in the when you're in the army is everyone's like my recruiter lied to me. They said I was going to do this and do that, you know. And, uh, he was just an upfront guy. He didn't lie to me, and mm. but he did it. But he he made sure that all the paperwork was done. Everything was was done correctly, and he and and so, um, and so because of the work he had done, because of the work I had done, um, and that kind of I, I I felt like I needed to serve. I was like I just can't. I said, but it's only like a six year commitment. <clears throat> I'll see you in six years, and then we'll go to Russia and we'll do some cool stuff. Uh, it would end up being longer than six years, and then by the time I got out, he wasn't at floor anymore, and so. Um, it never worked out. <laughs> so then I ended up going to Clemson instead. Um, but I think I would have, I think I would have hated that job working with floor. Um, at least in the army, I got five years of flying a helicopter and doing something that was a little more tactical. Um, and then before I went to go be in an office, um, and then I don't work well in an office environment. It's not, it's not good for my psychology. I think, mm. um, I think I can spend some time in a, in an office at a computer and doing stuff. Um, but I found then that it's just not, uh, it's not where my, it's not where I belong. Unless maybe if it were a very, 
if it were a job that I loved doing and I could really focus on it for eight hours a day, right? And it was something, then maybe, but uh, that was not the case at the time. My job was not that involved at all. It was, um, yeah. And so it just, it, it ended up with me watching a lot of YouTube. As, and, yeah. yeah, I remember you telling me that story where cause I think I resonate with this and many of you guys who are watching now probably resonate with this where you were saying that you were, um, you were still in the, the army at the time, but this time you were just in a, you were, I guess, serviced more into an office kind of space right, yeah. where you were just... So, yeah, you have, you have you, you, your staff folks, and God bless the staff folks, because that is that is a hard job. <laughs> and then you have, you know, the guys that are more the, I guess you could say, operator style, right? So an infantry Bubba, he's going to go out, and he's going um, to spend a lot of time in the field in his career, right? He's going to going to be out at a range and it's going to be out training and land that like that or you're going to be sitting around the or you're going to do like kind of what i did you're going to be sitting around a building not doing anything waiting on someone to say go home those are kind of the two things that you do say if you're an infantry dude in the army you're either out in the field training or just waiting for someone to tell you to leave um and then you get tasked off to go mow the lawn or whatever the hell bullshit they want you to do um and so there's and so the staff jobs if you're if you're the operations guy, you're the, what they call the the S three. Um, you have a high, you get a pretty high pressure job, right? Because you, the S three, there's a lot that's all operations. So whether that's training or that's a mission overseas or some uh, the defect needs like the, like all the operations. And so there's a lot that goes into that, and that needs a main person. You have your S two, which is your intel people, important job. Those two jobs really matter. And then you have your commander. And then you have supply and other stuff. But those two jobs in particular are the ones that typically, if you're the S3 or the S2, you're the guy typically they're looking at to make the commander later on. It's kind of you're on that track. Um, and so the, 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 the staff guys will say, you know, they're the guys that are sitting around the map planning out. We're going to do strategy-wise. We want to take this. We need to get that and all this stuff. Um, so a very important job, obviously. Um, and then you're more, like I said, you're tactical operator. So I was stuck in the staff job and my job just wasn't one that really required a whole lot of anything. On occasion, there was an email I had to re respond to or maybe I go sit in on a meeting. But um, now from my perspective, what I could have done different, right? I could have gone out and, and interjected myself into things and tried hard, tried harder to be a part of it. Um, I, I would say I was at that point for a lot of reasons, I was just jaded and I wasn't, I was going to meet the standard and that's all they were going to get from me. And, mm -hmm. um, that's, it's not uncommon, right? <laughs> um, but it's also not the, it's not what you want to do really. I think I would have been happier if I'd have just been like, well, this is what it is. And just do just dove in head first. And be like, I'm going to be, I want to figure out everybody else's job in here since my job is just, I don't even know what my job is because I don't do it enough. Right. But I'll just, ask everybody else or whatever. Um, could have got more into regulations and whatnot, but instead I just watched a lot of YouTube. I tried to, like, it was almost like I just wanted to put my psyche out in the woods because my body was stuck in the cubicle. Um, the best part of the staff jobs, though, were like this. Guys would come around and I could, you could have conversations with guys and really get to know, especially the lower enlisted. I, I got to, as a warrant officer, you're in, this, you're in this kind of in-between land where you're not a real officer, where everyone's like, oh, that guy's, Immediately, everyone's like, that guy's either an idiot or an asshole, like, because he's a real officer. And then you're not enlisted, 
Um, and so you're kind of in this middle realm. And so I, um, and because I've always, I like to talk to people, um, those are the best times. Jesse Stenner would come over and he'd fucking, we'd sit there and he'd tell me about what's going on and talk or um, we'd give each other advice and all kinds of stuff. Um, Funeri was another, just, so that was, that was cool. The people on staff were, were fun. Um, but the job was, not fun. Yeah, and I can resonate with that because like when you were telling my story a few years ago, it was just like you felt like you were just like lost and didn't yeah. have like a purpose, you no. know. I was and, just waiting and I also knew I wasn't going to get promoted cuz I'd been grounded as a pilot for for uh, you know, it's just I couldn't I couldn't fly anymore for some for vertigo and stuff that I had in, in Afghanistan, so it was like well, I knew I wasn't as a as a pilot, I'm not going to get promoted as a pilot who can't, you know. And so I could have transferred into maybe UAS or gone different routes. Um, but I was just, yeah, jaded and lost. And it was, um, it was right around the time I lost my grandmother. And so there's just, there's a lot of things that were just, um, the deployment didn't really go like it, it got cut short because of the vertigo. And then there's a lot of guilt. You're like, I'm leaving all my buddies to be, do this thing. And I wanted to be there and I want to be the one, you know, that, that has to go into the dangerous things and do the dangerous things. And instead I'm just going to leave them and, uh, not, you know? And so the guilt of that, the grief of my, losing my grandmother and, um, and just not dealing with those things well, you know, and then, mm. um, and then just being like, fuck it. I'll just, I'm just going to wait until they kick me out and then I'll go figure out something else to do. So how long did that? It was like five years, man. Wow. Five yeah, years. Yeah. It was just, um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was not a great, I mean, it was, you know, it, uh, started having back problems, go to the doc and I'm like, Hey, my back bothers me. And they're like, okay, um, we're going to send you they MRIs, whatever. We're going to send you over to pain management. We got a pain management people. And I went over there and I said, that's, that's cool, but I don't. I actually said I don't want Percocets. I don't want Oxys. Just something that's not like that. And they said, "Well, that's cool. We got this stuff called Tramadol. It's not a narcotic." And I was like, well, "Okay." And Tramadol is definitely narcotic. <laughs> so um, it was like two and a half years on Tramadol, uh, and then had some knee surgeries and hip surgeries and stuff. Body was starting to just degrade. It felt like um, I wasn't really working out. I wasn't inactive necessarily i'd spent a lot of time you know at, at my desk but um i still we had a farm down in georgia and that required some physical activity on my part on occasion you know picking up hay bales and things um but i definitely got overweight i was i think my heaviest i was like almost 240 pounds which is not good when you're five foot eight so and where are you where are you at now right around 190 probably okay, right now just so you guys get a reference <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yes, it was when I got out of the army though. I'd already got down to like two twenty five, so I got out of two twenty five. But then, then I really hit hit it hard, and that's when I went to Clemson. There's a lot of anxiety involved. Um, I was I was basically eating just like deli meat and cheese and pickles <laughs> most of the time, and so I got like I my weight, uh, and then working a bunch in the in the studio, and I got down to like one hundred and seventy pounds. And at, at 170 pounds, I'm ripped. It's probably my, if I were a fighter, I'd be like a 170. Like that'd be uh, my fighting weight, you know. Um, but uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I just not. I, I don't get to eat, you know, yummy things when I'm 170 pounds. <laughs> you know, so it's like if I want to if I want to be able to eat a piece of cake every once in a while, I'm just gonna have to be 190 pounds, a yeah. little less skinny. So towards the end of the five year period, what what changed? Uh, well, part of it was just the recognition. Um, well, you know, I, I was taking Tremadol. I knew that it was a problem and I knew it earlier than I, than I admitted to myself. And then I eventually just admitted it to Patina. I was like, I just keep taking these things and this isn't, so I'm going to quit. And just so you know, the next two weeks are probably going to be shitty for me, but I'll just quit. And, um, 
And it was, you know, uh, but at that point, actually, because of the hip surgery, they had, had been on Percocets at that point. I finally, finally made that switch. And, um, and so coming off of those, it's, it's, it's like being, it's like a flu, you know, it's like, it's, it's just, it's a really bad hangover. I'd forgotten, um, the number one rule when you're, when you're taking, when you're taking any kind of medicine or drug, um, don't take the, don't take the drug if you're not ready to take the hangover, right? Like, mm. like, because it's because part of the reason you're going to keep doing it is to avoid that hangover. Now, part of the reason I was doing it was to not feel all my feelings, obviously. Mm. I mean, alcohol, opiates, they're numbing agents and they're made to make you not you just, to just try to avoid that. And then so part of it was just my mindset of like, I know this isn't good and I, I've just got to quit. I'm going to tell the wife what's going on and then I'll be done with this stuff. And so I put those down and then it was like, well, now I'm going to start moving my body more. I kind of went back to my mentality before I came in the army. And it was, if you're in your comfort zone, you're wrong. Right. And I just got in my comfort zone and just kind of, I just, I'm comforted by the, by the liquor and I'm comforted by the pills and let's just do that. And then that'll buffer all of the sad and mad and anger and all that stuff. I don't have to feel it. Um, and then, so I started just being like, well, this, that I, I really recognize it's not sustainable start making some changes. And then um, a lot of big changes obviously happened. Like the funny thing is some drugs are numbing agents and some drugs are like, uh, it, they increase those feelings. And so marijuana is one of those for me that I, I would like, it was the opposite of numbing and, it's, and it still is. It's like I can, um, that you, you, you can, you can't get away from those feelings, which means you have to, I have to deal with them as opposed to, you know, not looking at them. them. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, at first it was shining a light on the, the grief of my grandmother. It's like, you, you kind of put these things in the back of your mind and, and, and maybe you smoke weed one time and then it's like, Hey, guess what we're going to think about? We're going to think about your grandma and you're going to have to just uh, deal with the fact your grandma's gone. And because you smoked, this is going to be for a couple hours. You're going to be like, you're just going to like, and, and, you can think of it as maybe a type of psychosis, maybe, but I looked at it as just like that's that's just therapy. Having that's just me having to work through, it. and I wasn't going to go to a therapist uh, for well, lots of reasons. With, with that kind of, I know there's like a reference like, oh, now it's getting more trendy. You know, yeah. I'm going to get therapy. You well, know? there's a lot <laughs> of good. There's a lot of good reasons <laughs> and good like arguments for getting therapy. Um, I. And I think it's important to talk to people. I just, I think you can think of, I think you can, there are other ways to go about it. And with me, the idea of therapy, it, you know, I guess there is a machismo part of it, but it's more just, I don't know if I can trust those people. I don't or know. being vulnerable too. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I got to tell them things that they're supposed to not tell anybody or whatever, right? About thoughts I'm having, but I don't know if they're going to do that. And, and, and. And a part of this is the, the second amendment for me is like, if I start, if I'm going through something and I go to a therapist, right. And I'm like having, um, you know, negative thoughts about me or negative thoughts about whatever. Um, if I don't know that, like, the, how do I know that it's not going to be like, well, this guy, we should just take away all this guy. We should take away, put him in a thing, you know? And it's like, I'm just dealing with the thing. And so part of it's that, and, you, and I guess they're professionals and they're not supposed to do that, but I just, you never know. And I figure, um, uh, the psychedelics, uh, the psychedelic nature of marijuana was just helping with that, you know, um, it's just helping me have a conversation because those conversations you're having with a therapist are supposed to be, if you listen to Jordan Peterson, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, 
here's the thing, and they're not going to give you the answer. They're just going to try to walk you down the path that you know is there that you're just not taking, right? And so a lot of times when people, this I'm sure this happened to you, people come to you about a thing, and they tell you about a thing, and you, the, like the path is, is very visible to you, and you right. know they can see it, right? But, but it's too scary or it's too, like, there's too much. They don't want to go down, you know? And so, but sometimes it's just someone going, and then they go, well, I think maybe this is the thing to do. And it just takes someone going, yeah, I think that's the right thing to do. Well, uh, I th there's, there's a way that psychedelics can do that. Cause you can have that conversation with yourself and you can go, you can kind of back off of the emotional side of the situation sometimes. Uh, and I think because it's like shown a light on it for so much, it's like, you, like we're just going to get over all this guilt and then you're actually going to be able to think about the situation afterwards, right? You're going to be emotionally kind of separated after just knowing you can't get away from the motion. Like you're in a sea of, you know, uh, with my grandmother, let's say. Sorrow. It's a sea of sorrow, right? And you just have to kind of accept the fact that, yes, I'm in this. And then you, the next thing you know, you're like, well, now look, I can look at it rationally and know that I, it's not good for me to stay in that. Like you, and look, there's a path and I can see it. You just got to go take it. Um, it, yeah. So with the psychedelics, so that was kind of the primary thing that helped you with the transition. I wouldn't say it was the primary. The primary was my mindset. Was okay. the, was the, like like I like I'm obviously it was recognition I'm not not in a good place and I got to do something right. Um, and then you just do for me it was just do what I the things that I know to do which are eat better and exercise. Those are the that's like I didn't know what else to do. And that's where the athlete just came right back in. Right, it's like my brain's not right, so I'll just start. I'll stop taking these pills. I'll start eating better and I'm going to start moving my body more. And then from there, it, it, it was after that, that it was like, well, now I'm going to add the, the marijuana to this and, and, and see if that's beneficial. And then, it, and it, and it and certainly was, but like I became certainly more empathetic. I could start seeing things from, again, from, you know, my daughter's perspective, my wife's perspective, from other people and, and really kind of put myself in those shoes. And then, um, it just, you know, and so it was, a uh, I was willing to be more open than I would, than I, you know, had been with, certainly with the pills, it was just a shut off. It was just like, oh, whatever. You and, know. It, and it's like coming to a point where you, and it happens a lot with just when we have like grief, trauma or pain or any situation we want to fix is like, you have to come to a point of acknowledgement. Right. And like owning, owning the trauma, owning the pain. And, and yeah. recognizing that it is like, it, it is what it is. And then, um, and then just rise up. You have to rise above it is all you can do. Like you, you can stay down in it, but you're not getting it. It's not doing anything for you to stay down in it, you know? And this happens over and over. It's funny. It's like the Ouroboros, the sort of like the snake that's eating its own tail. Have you seen mm -hmm. that thing before? Yeah. Right. And there's, people have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, Carl Jung has a really interesting stuff about it, but the Ouroboros is interesting in that it's, it, it kind of represents a womb of sorts, right? And it's like a safe space. It's like a comfort zone. And then, you can try to get out of that comfort zone, right? And and you can try to go where the body is, but there's no getting out there. The only way out is right through the right where the mouth and the tail are, right? That's the only opening in the whole thing. It's also the scariest part of the whole thing, mm. right? As much it would feel much better to climb over its back than to have to navigate the tail and the mouth mixture, right? Like if you close, it, I'm gonna get eaten. There's all the dangers that happen there, but that's the only way. That's the only way out, and so. And then the, the funny thing is when you get out of that Ouroboros in about five years, you realize, oh, look, I'm in another one. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't know. I just went into it. And so it's, it's a constant like leveling up. And you can think of 
maybe the you're in a little one when you're five, but that Ouroboros you're in when you're bigger, it's just it's a much it just encompasses all of those ones below it. Instead of turtles all the way down, it's Ouroboros all the way down, right? <laughs> and so you just keep kind of realizing I'm in a comfort zone, I'm in a womb, I'm in a um well and well, I'm uh, the ultimate's the death. Like death is kind of the, the ultimate back into the womb. Um back into the earth kind of thing, right? So it's a, it completes the cycle of sorts from dust to dust and all that. Um, yeah, and so it, for me, it was the, the pills and stuff were kind of creating this Ouroboros for me. It was just like, I get to go in here. My, my thoughts are circular, but I'll just stay in here and, and just live in these circular thoughts. Provided a room. It's very comfortable. <laughs> it's fine. I don't have to actually deal with anything. But the only way to get to get off meth or to get off this or to quit that is to go directly at and for me for the pills it's like you just got to stop and deal with all of the pain that comes afterwards and like that's the hangover that you get from the drug and if you go in yeah so yeah that's huge um because a lot of things come to mind but it's like i know for me when i've experienced like hard moments in life it requires to like have, spending time alone mm-hmm. and recognizing what is it that is like bothering me something or that I'm not able to overcome or mm-hmm. work through. Right. And it, that can be really scary. Right. Um, but it's just like leaning well, and, in. Yeah. And then you, when you see the path out, that becomes <laughs> a, lo- a lot of times that's scary too. Cause it's not like it's an e- It's not like it's just, Oh, it's just a walk on the beach. It's usually not the path out of those situations. Single. You can think of like singlehood being a single man as a, as a type of orb. Like you're in this very comfortable womb. But the only way out is is straight into the jaws of commitment. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And then you you're gonna have to be married and go through that. And um, and so it, yeah, it's it's exactly what it's just you yeah you're yeah. And behind like every strong man, you know, there's a quote I'm paraphrasing. There's a, a strong a strong woman that is supporting that man. And for you, yeah, your wife Latina has always even for me have just been just a rock. I would say like in her own respects and to you guys as family and just um how you guys your your dynamics as a uh married couple has been really inspirational but right. tell me how like you. your wife Thank really you. supported you through those like hard times and mm-hmm. i yeah. know that played a big role too well, yeah it's um there you know it's interesting because you want support but you want someone to also show you like <laughs> <laughs> that's not no <laughs> you know so it's like it, you don't want some, you know, you don't want a wife who just says, yes, any idea you have is a good idea. Mm. Um, there's no pushback. There, so, yeah, behind every great man's a, a powerful woman. There's no like that's not a that's not a great woman standing there doing something like whatever you think, honey. Um, now, you also don't want a tyrant who's like you're, you're never doing anything you want. Right. Um, but you need a partner who is, I think, recognizes that you guys are both on the same path. Mm. And, and like and, and so there's a recognition like we're on this path together, but it's not a very wide path. And if you go off that direction, like I'm going to fall off the path, right? So it's like, I'd prefer if you didn't go that way because that's not going to be good, you know? And, and, um, but sometimes it's like, Hey, we're on this path. And, um, and I, I think I have to make a new path. Like, I think I have to blaze a new trail. Mm. Right. And so then again, you don't, it's not like you probably don't want an immediate, okay, let's go. Right. Like, because because you're not 
Because the man isn't, he's going to think about the path. He's not going to think about the things along the path that could eat him necessarily until he confronts the thing. And then he's like, oh shit, there's a thing that can eat me. Where women, I tend to, I think in that situation, or the feminine, maybe we could say, um, would be more interested in what's going to happen on that path and what kind of dangers are ahead on that path that you're going to make that isn't there yet. And so having that conversation now puts you on the, now when you start to blaze your own trail, you go, I'm, 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 now I'm looking out for the things, or I'm looking out for danger. This is kind of what it's like, I guess what I was trying to get to earlier is when you don't know, when you have something to live for, you, you start recognizing, yes, danger exists. Yes, I should be aware of it. And no, it does not get to decide everything I do, right? Um, because I'm dangerous too, mm. right? And so, um, but, the, but it's, it is that interaction with, maybe it's a sister when you're young. This is why it's probably, it's probably nice to have a sister. I've never had a sister, but <laughs> probably nice to have a sister because you're going to have some of that experience and you're going to kind of grow up in that. You're going to be able to take on some of the feminine of the ability to like be empathetic, to be empathetic, to think about things that could go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Ways. Cause again, I think the masculine is like, let's just go. And then, Oh, look, there's a, there's a giant pit here. And had we just thought for a second, we would have, that would have made sense to us. Right. Or um, we would have seen it. We'd have been aware of it thinking maybe it could be a pit ahead. And so, Having that sister maybe is, can be a thing that can make you a little bit more whole as a young man. Um, but if, you know, and unluckily for my wife, it's just, yeah, I didn't, it was like, I had to be 30 years old before it was like, okay, I can actually start maturing a little bit and filling out this whole feminine side of my <laughs> psyche that actually has to think about these things as opposed to just charge, you know, default aggression. Um, and, it, and it's good. I mean, you still have to, you can't get confused. You can't get it twisted and be like, "Well, look now, I'm a woman because it's I'm a feminine side." Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like that's not what you are. But you, ha but um, you're still a dude who's going to default aggression, you know. And I think that's okay. But you have to, um, at you, times, at yeah. times, at times it's necessary. At times, it, like any of that other, like I don't have time to think about what I just have to go in and take it out. And if I die in the process, y'all get the fuck out of here. I don't want to tell you, <laughs> you know. That's that happens too. Yeah, and it's like being willing to. Um, like embrace your wife's perspective yeah. uh, because men, I always say too, I feel like, and I've been only married for a year and Jesse's going on what, 12? It'll be 15 or years. 15. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll be 15 married this year or uh, this coming Valentine's Day, 16 together. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, to, it's crazy. To the the peaks and valleys, you know, <laughs> of marriagehood. But um, yeah, so I always say too, like as a single person, when I was single, if I was stay single, you know, I would have been more like misguided and more dangerous because, you know, you're just susceptible to your own like desires. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. That doesn't. I would say most of the time it doesn't lead to a, a well, great place. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you don't have um something to kind of to you know something to Hold you push back against, you know, it's like it's like it's like when you play when you go bowling. If you're really good at bowling, you don't need well not if you're decent at bowling you don't need the bumpers right but sometimes in life you need those bumpers and having a partner is a bumper and you can go well no if i keep going that way we're going to fall off so let's come back this way because we're all out there walking on a trail and we're like half blind and we're just like <laughs> you like you got somebody to hold on to and then they like, oh my god i feel like the edge is over here and you go okay well i'm coming back this way and so it's it's you know i know that's very metaphorical and it's whatever but it's it's what it feels like sometimes and you and so um and then to have a partner that can be like, all right, how about we just sit down for a minute on this trail when we can't see anything? And we'll just like, we're going to touch each other's faces and we're going to see if we can build a picture of the other person that I'm with. And we're going to get to know each other a little bit as we move further down this trail. Um, 
that's a you know that's a bonding experience right there. It's getting to know each other, and then later on down the trail when uh, we go a little bit too far this way, and my foot slips and I scream, and I'm like, "Get back over!" It's not taken as an abuse. Like it's like like you know, there's an understanding in that scenario. Like that's a high pressure situation, and we almost died. So you know, and he doesn't have to be. You know, he didn't have to be in a nice way. Will you please not let me die? You know, it's like and you can go through those kind of hard times because you, you stopped earlier and you, you know, you, you really got to know the person you, you touched them, you felt them like a blind person, maybe, you know, just kind of feeling the face. What is this thing that I'm with and who is it? And then along the way you find out, you know, you find out all kinds of things about them and some are good and some are bad, <laughs> but you know, they find out things about you too. Right. <laughs> it's all, are. it's all part of the journey of transformation. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you figure out where you two fit together and you go, okay. Um, and, and then you figure out what you don't, yeah. And, and disclaimer too, um, yeah, your wife or significant other's not going to always say something that you welcome or that no. you want to hear. But no. you know that yeah. growth is not hearing something you want to hear. It's right. it's just really being like obedient, diligent to like, I have work I need to do. So <laughs> yeah. this person, I trust this person. Mm-hmm. You know, cares for me and understands and believes that too. So right. I'm going to like. I'm going to listen to yeah. what they have to say at a minimum. I'm going to listen and, right. you know, and, and if, and if, um, and really try to swallow that. I know what <laughs> I know the things and be like, well, maybe this person knows things too. And, uh, and then we can, you know, um, but also they don't know everything either. Right. So that that's, there's the balance there of, and it's easy to, when you're, when you kind of fall in love and you build this picture of a person and they're like, well, they're an angel and I don't deserve them. And you know, all, all that stuff. And I mean, some of that's flattering, but some of that's also dangerous, right? It's like you're putting them in a situation where they're not, and then you may end up just following their lead blindly because you held them in such a high esteem. Yeah, yeah. You're like they just they have all, they must have all the answers, right? Because they're so wonderful, right? And that's um, it's forgetting that that's a human on the other end. So there's point being, there's traps everywhere, right? So it's like you gotta. So everything's there are just traps everywhere. It's like when I was, when I was in seer school, <laughs> they're. Uh, that's survival, evasion, resistance, and escape school in the army. And they were talking about barriers and how you have to defeat barriers and how you go over and under and and sometimes you got to go through and all this. And um, we think we're talking about a fence or whatever. And somebody goes, "Well, what about booby traps?" Mm. And, the, and the and the instructor turns and he goes, "Every booby's a trap, right?" <laughs> and so and it was a funny joke at the time, just you know, as a as a man kind of locker room joke, but. If you, but if you look at all those thoughts as little boobies, right, there's a, there's a trap in every single one of those. And so it's important before you go down any path, you think, well, what are the, what are the traps? What are, you know, and you can, you're likely to only do that after really becoming intimate with a woman, I feel like, as a man, because mm-hmm. you're not going to, you're just not going to think about those traps typically. And again, that woman can be your sister, that woman can be your mom, it can be oh, yeah, whoever, sure. you know, but. Yeah, that's a good reminder because, yeah. Most of these things are happening to you as a kid or at every point in your life, where, like from your mom, sister, aunts, coaches, or anybody right. who from the opposite gender, it could, that could really, you know, still be, um, you know, existent and influential. Um, and hearing that too, I wanted to really talk about humility, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I feel like that's, a, which is a lost art. You're right. <laughs> yeah. But the one of the most necessary, you know, to navigating life. Mm-hmm. in a very um holistic way right and uh just like even hearing your or listening to your your wife or to others that helped you along that journey 
I just, I hear how you have to be like really, you have to humble yourself to get to that point. Right. Put your pride and put your own intellect aside to really gain a different perspective that can really unlock, you know, something transformational um, in your life or any situation. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking with my wife yesterday night about, uh, you know, this uh, the, the podcast, this episode, and I'm um, telling her about uh, the, Bi- the Bilo story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like how, how, we got, how we got hired at Bilo? Yeah, yeah. And I can give some context on how I was working at UPS, uh, one of the many jobs I had in college, um, which was right around the corner from Bilo. And I had got fired, mm-hmm. fortunately, for... A weird situation of um i was still in my training period left this uh the door was closed but it was an old-fashioned door that didn't just automatically like clink but then the person who was training me she didn't go behind me and also like make sure that was happening but i worked the whole shift the next day and then they fired me after that but i was really um devastated you know about that and i was remember jesse one of the few people i was talking to about it and um he just really encouraged me like you know, life continues. And if you still need to find a job, let's do that. And even to the further point, he was like, I need to probably find work too. And he really kind of planted the seed of like, all right, let's work at Bilo. Even though I was just like, man, Bilo, I don't (laughs) know if I want to do that. You know, it's like, and, but it's like every job, um, especially that makes an honest living and has all those like kind of, positive and integrity well there's all there's, yeah their experiences in all the jobs yeah. you know and whether it's a uh, a super prestigious job or it's a, you know working at the grocery store you know or being the janitor like you just there there's you're going there's an experience in that we i bought worked with a guy who just gotten out of the out of prison for 25 years for murder wow. and this guy came around was working for a minute and then they closed down bottle that was right before they closed it down but um so, you know, I, and that was an interesting thing because it was like, I don't know, like you could tell he was trying to go down the right path. He had learned a lot. He had made a huge mistake in, in a long time ago and he was trying to get himself straight again. That was interesting to see. Um, and it was, and I remember thinking like, you know, oh my God, I'm around a person that killed somebody was my first thought. Then I was like, holy shit. I like, I've been around people. Like I was in the army for 10 years. I was around people that killed people like a lot. Like that's not, oh, then I was like, well, that's not really now there's a big difference in how it happened, but it's not just the killing of someone in that regard. Right. And, and this guy was looking for a fresh start and you know, it, um, I wouldn't have had that experience to, 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 to be, to have any of those thoughts without, you know, having gone to Bilo. Um, and for you, it was really great because <laughs> like, I think I, I just been there buying groceries and they said open, open calls on Wednesdays or whatever, you know, open applications, open interviews, yeah, open interviews. Yeah. <laughs> And it just happened like the next day. He's like, you got fired on a Tuesday or whatever. And I was like, tomorrow they're doing interviews. Let's just go over there. Um, and so, you know, some of that was just the universe just offering things up. And then luckily I was tuned into the sign. And then I remembered, right? So it's just like sometimes the universe just lays itself out where, um, you know, they're just these things that are just like, here's some steps you can take. And, and, uh, and then whether or not you necessarily, I don't know, it was just, it lays them out, and then when there's opportunity, you go, oh, now I know why those steps were just laid out for me. Hey, Gabe, I think we can go do this. And um, you got to go work at Bilo, and you got to, uh, you kind of <laughs> meet a lot of cool people. Meet a lot of cool people, but, but most importantly, get another, another, uh, learn another perspective on life. That yeah, yeah. Well, in the UPS, 
and Bilo, like it's not like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like you can exchange those one for one. That's a fair exchange, you know. It's, and so just make the exchange. And and if it didn't work out, who cares? Make the exchange and move on. Um, and you can always build from there. You know, you can always you can always start a Bilo stocking stuff and then be managing Bilo. And next thing you know, you're a corporate level Bilo employee. Like that's those those things exist. And there's always steps to make your life better, no matter what position you're in. It's just whether or not you want to actually take those steps or not. Mm. Yeah, that was really like it was. If it made me feel good to like to free, because I, I your your attitude changed like twenty four <laughs> hours, you know, it was just all better. Well, really, almost immediately. But when you got hired, it was just, yeah. Yeah, and I was, and it was crazy because we both go, went in on the open interviews on yeah. Wednesday, and I didn't know who we were gonna get it, but I was just I didn't even know what to come from. I was just like, right. but just just seeing Jesse, you know, who was further along, you could say in life with a family and all those other things, more to lose than I had at the time and um, just seeing he was willing to just get a job to support his family. I was just like, that's admirable and, you know, really courageous and helped me, you know, to go in there. We both got the job, you know, and yeah, the rest is history, but Mm -hmm. just use that experience um, just in my everyday and just seeing how, like you were saying, no matter what the job is, you know, there's, it's valuable to life and how, you know, you can learn different things from it. And um, and that was a big thing too, because even outside of the bio thing, you always kind of showed like that humility approach in Thanks. life. And I'm I'm curious to know like where did that kind of like start, or where did you start to really try to implement that? Yeah, um, you know, I I don't I, I don't know if this this is what comes this is the thought that comes to my head. I don't know because where where do things come from is a hard thing. It's like as, asking someone why they do a thing. Mm. Um, cause you don't always know why you're doing a thing. Right. Um, so like why was, sometimes I think it's when you, you know, I kind of, my parents were divorced before I remember them being together. Right. So three or four years old, they got divorced. Um, I don't know what it was like with them together. You know, they got along well enough afterwards, but, um, still lots of tension. Um, and so part of that is just like, um, I think for, in that situation, it was, a lot of, I don't know what's going on. And so I have to just accept that I don't know what's going on and, um, and then move, kind of move forward in a moment to moment basis. Um, and so I, I, that's, that's what comes to mind is, is you just, I, I was never, I never like, yeah. I, um, or it was, was, yeah. Or was there like a, one moment that you remember vividly that, yeah, it's hard to know because I never really, th- I never really thought it just, about it. It, it was just, in it. yeah, I, I, from the beginning, it was. I just kind of accepted the fact that, um, like, I, I don't to know. Treat people nice. Or well, kind, just or? yeah. Well, to be kind for sure. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I'm not always humble. I know, and that's, <laughs> I, I, that's something. I'm like, yeah, we're all but, capable of but, every right, and so and so. But but I do. Like, I don't know. So when I remember one time when. Right, probably right around high school, in the high school, college time frame, my aunt, my one of my aunts, was, we were talking one day, and she was talking, trying to tell me how um, amazing it was that Jesus gave his life for everyone, you know, for the sins of everyone else. And I was just like, well, Susie, wouldn't you, like, if you knew that your death, if you knew that your death meant that there's a path for everyone else mm. to get to heaven, wouldn't you sacrifice yourself too? Right, like it, like, like I'm glad he did it, but what kind of asshole is like, oh, if I die, everyone gets to go to heaven? Nah, 
I'm just not gonna. You see, like mm. you right, and so that was kind of my mentality from the from the jump. I guess is that's. Did she is, say yes? She was just she like, would... I never thought about it like that. You know, she just it just never crossed her mind, right? Because it's, and I get it because it's amazing. It's an amazing thing for someone to sacrifice themselves for someone else, um, but or for and if you can do it for everyone else, and it's like even more reason to do it. Now that idea changed. Like it became harder for me to stick to that once I had a daughter, right? Because then it's like, I still think. I still like to think that if I knew my death meant the whole world doesn't blow up in a nuclear bomb, that I would just be like, yeah, like, I think, I think, I think a lot of dads would do the same. They'd be like, I would happily allow me to die so that everyone in the world <laughs> gets to live, including my kid. Right. Like, and that's a perfect segue to the point I wanted to bring up because I remember you mentioning to me, like how when your daughter coming into the world really gave you a sense of purpose yeah, that you, you didn't yeah, have before. Never had before. And you're kind of elaborating a little bit on how that really changed and broadened your horizon about like the meaning of life and <laughs> yeah. the value of it. The value of life. The value of my own life. Cause, yeah. Yeah, because then you go, uh, if I didn't have, without, without a, like if I woke up tomorrow and had all these memories, but my wife and my daughter was, like I wouldn't, like, I couldn't think of a thing that I'd do that would be as as sustaining of my own life that as an important that I would feel is is as important as as making sure those two have whatever they need you know what I'm mm. saying like it would just be like without them you kind of go what what the hell would I be living for exactly um i think if may, maybe if i you know had some i don't even know like I, I, like if i don't know what job i could have where i could wake up tomorrow <laughs> right and then right. those two were gone i'd be like well at least i have my job you know what I'm saying? Or career, you know, uh, maybe if I'm, maybe if I'm a preacher, maybe, I don't know. Like, you know, like it's hard to think, but it's all like, and you raise a really good point about That's initially, at least. I mean, I, I think eventually you'd have to ration yourself, rationalize yourself into, I like my, what I do, like I'm an important person and I, I deserve life. I think you have to rationalize, but the initial thought is like, I'm kind of useless now. Right. So, Anyway, sorry, what you saying? No, and it, you raise a good point about even like with the pastor, it's like, how do I live a life in the for the service of others? Right. And I think that's what I hear. And when you talk about your wife and your daughter, how nothing really compares. And it's a good reminder, a great reminder, because we oftentimes want to get validated by our like jobs, our career, or the influence. Mm -hmm. But when it's all said and done, you're like, you can, see, you can say legacy or how did you pour into your family? How did you push, yeah, like your, your family, your loved ones forward mm -hmm. in a positive direction that would leave a lasting impact? Right. And this is why I'm so amazed by dudes. Like as an example, Cameron Haynes is just the one that comes to mind because he's a guy that was full on in his job and then full on in his family. Like he was able to do both of those things at maximum. Right. Uh, and so, whereas it, for me, it was always like, I, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure if I maximize my career that I can also max. Like I don't, I didn't see, I still don't really see how you can maximize both of those things and then hold that together. And so the guys that can do that, that I think it's, I think part of it's pro I don't know what it is. Like, um, <laughs> maybe it's, I don't know what, I don't know. So it's a divine gift. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. I think. And so, um, so in, and, um, it's, 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 it's that work-life balance everybody talks about, you know, um, not just balancing those, but then the being able to maximize those is just a, that's a different skill. It's one thing to balance them, you know, and be like, I didn't go overboard with this and I didn't go overboard with that. 
but to be like I went overboard with both of them that's mm. fucking crazy that's crazy and I'm and that's cool um and so that that but I, that's the kind of that's who I hope my daughter finds right like I want that guy to to, to be the, the guy that my daughter finds and so um knowing that I, I was not that guy in the past and knowing that I'm like so I guess what, what I'm getting at is like it's interesting because so much of it is service to others but there's a point where you're like I think this is what I think this is similar to after having been home for a while like I've been at, I've been staying at home um, really just kind of taking care of, of that side of the house where my wife has been killing it in the real estate world um, and so I recently heard I think it was George I think it was um, Ben Shapiro said something about uh, it, there's some polls out there and they say that the happiest women in in the US are the women who are married with kids and a part-time job mm. Right, because not only do they have this family that they feel like they can serve and do do for, that they have a piece over here that's something that they do that is productive as well, right? And so you, you kind of have you kind of get a, a little bit of both, and so I, I get that, and so I think um, I think the the photography for me has been something that's been beneficial for that um, is building a skill and taking pictures for Bettina and Isabella's getting older, so now there's a transition right now where I'm. I got to transition to try to get more of the photography going on because it's a way for me to still maintain the house and do all the things that need to be done and then upgrade the house in the ways that need to be upgraded and then also make something productive um, on a more consistent basis, right? Because you know, the house, when a man and a woman have a house, and let's say the woman stays at home and she's maintaining and cleaning and keeping it up to date and pointing out the flaws to the husband and he's fixing those things, there's money being made there. It's just you're not going to see that money until you sell that house. But there's money being made because mm-hmm. if you don't maintain that house, you're, you're losing money. That could be a metaphor. Yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it could be a metaphor, but it's also a real reality. Yeah. And so, you, so you can hold on to. I think if you want to be a, a, a monetary producer in the household, and you're the one who's at home, you can go. Well, my ability to maintain this home is what's going to produce money on the back end of this home. So. I do have a money-making mm. job, but it pays once every 10 years as opposed to every month or every week or whatever, right? So that's you can hold on to that for a little while, I think. But I think, um, at least for me, it's turned into, like, that's cool and all. It's not, it's not cutting it, you know? So let's find something. And so the, um, so, and then it, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm blessed to be in a situation where I can kind of go, well, I'm going to figure out something I like to do, like taking pictures. And... And being outdoors, and, and being outdoors, and, and use those things to 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 build a you know a, to build a, a business of my own. And so there's the you know the, the videography with the drones and the photography with the cameras, and uh, and then there's some interesting things where that stuff goes. Um, the drones in particular, that um, I'm looking at the lidars for drones. Mm. Um, you can get a survey grade one for like forty thousand dollars, and that's just the sensor, right? Then you got to buy the drone on top. But those are, those are kind of extensions of where I'm at. So I can go, well, I can do this thing right now. I can take pictures. I can fly. I can do all these things with what I got. And then I can also put this goal out there. So I'm going to try to end up with the LIDAR and then, you know, make, and then if you got a LIDAR, now you're $10,000, $12,000 a job and you're making, you know, so you can really contribute um, in a way that, you know, at least I would feel is, and it's fun. And I get to drive around the country and fly drones. That sounds like a fun time, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And I like how you, like as you're like strategizing or planning um, your next like move as far as a job or how you provide for your family that you're keeping keeping your family uh, in mind when you're doing that. I think a lot of times we mm-hmm. 
we're trying to it's like binary or it's separate we're trying to like all right i'm gonna get this job but then and play catch up or whatever with my family right but you're actually intentionally trying to (laughs) trying to blend those things together right yeah and and it's um definitely takes more time i guess i don't know yeah but i I do want to i want to be able well i want to have definitely want to have my own thing so that i'm not i don't have to work under somebody else's schedule necessarily right now when you have your own job you have your own business you're under kind of the schedule of the clients <laughs> so you do have you, everyone's got a boss um but i want but if but if i want to say i'm not i'm just going to block off this week and i get to make that decision and yes i'm going to lose some money from not making money but it's worth it to go spend a week in a filter with my daughter or whatever right then you can make those trade-offs of money for experiences um, and, and that's just another balance, right? It's just everything's a, everything's a balancing act. Sometimes it's like the guys who spend all the plates, right? And they get like 45 plates <laughs> they're spending. Sometimes it's, that's, uh, life can be like that, right? Because you're like, all right, I got my, my apartment, right? And you get it up. And then once you get it built up, then it's just keeping it going, right? And it's maintaining. Everything's in its place and it's all there. And then you're like, all right, now we got to get the job thing. And then you got to get the kit. And so you just get, but, and so the idea is to get all the plates spinning. And then once they're spinning, then it's just keeping them going. Um, but then you just keep adding plates and then one day they all fall and you die under like a mountain of plates because <laughs> it's just all this shit you were trying to do. Um, but that's, it's also fun. Like it would be like, it would just, it wouldn't be nearly as fun. Right. Um, it would just, it would actually be, I guess if the Buddhist would say it would just, just be suffering. Right. Yeah. So imagine you didn't, you just say like, I'm just going to sit here and not spend any plates. Well then you're, 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 you're like, you're going to just, you're going to starve and dehydrate until you die. You're just going to suffer until you die right because the ability to get water on a regular basis is a plate in in this sense right you got to keep that plate spinning otherwise you're not the water doesn't keep coming so if you don't want to do anything welcome to life life is suffering that's the baseline now go die right (laughs) but if you want to like rise above the suffering you actually have to like the athlete you got to move your body like you got to do things um in order to actually feel like in order to in order to make the suffering worth it because you're still going to suffer because you're suffering in the doing of the thing right mm-hmm. like it was it was meaningful for us to suffer in the studio for eight nine hours to try to get a good drawing um but it, it was a different kind of suffering than just sitting on our ass for eight or nine hours doing absolutely nothing right. like there's a there's a whole different kind of suffering in that <laughs> and that's the worst kind that reminds me of my job at, at the end of the <laughs> army right it's just sitting around with nothing and so um, if you can sufficiently make that a thing to get away from, like that sucks. I don't want to be in that suffering state. I'd rather be in this suffering state where at least I'm, I've got input. I've mm. got input into it. That's a great point. And I never told you this, but I, another thing that really inspired me about like just your life was just how you, and we were kind of talking about this earlier, just how you, your intentionality behind like being present in the home and with your family mm. and how, that's rare, especially from a lot of men that I know. I don't see that much, but you really having a positive perspective on it, whether that's cooking or right. yeah. being, you know, a supportive like resource for your daughter with her homework or whatever events or things that yeah. she has going on, and along with your wife, and and not like resulting to something that's like really irrational. But you're right. knowing that that could be that's an option, but knowing like having that. Kind of wherewithal to understand that um you know this is like life doesn't get kind of better than this in, in, right. in regards to 
being present, mm-hmm. you know, for my loved ones. What's well, a fundamental, right? It's like the if you can if you can just if I, I the way I see it is if I can just cover the fundamentals, right? It's like we got food, we got water, and we got love. Like if we can just if we can do that as a family, then I know the like we got that's a that's a base, and then we can go from there. Um, and so I because my wife is really good at sales and real estate, right? It's like I yeah I could be like well I'm just gonna go off and do my own thing over here and then we'll just I'll just put all the and um but then you know if you know anything about the real estate world and being a real estate agent that's a 24 hour it's almost 24 hours a day seven days a week like it's you're basically on call all the time and there's always a client who needs a thing and you got to answer in a text about this and um and so you can't have I don't see how you have two people doing that I guess you could well you have two people doing that. You could hire a maid. You could hire a nanny. You could do all those things, right? But Bettina and I have never been like, I mean, when I was in the Army, I didn't, you know, you can look up. I think I got out of the Army as a W-2. I was maybe making like $60,000 a year coming home. That was like, that was our, right? But she didn't work outside of the house, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's always like, that's just, for us, it was important, right? So, yeah, it was it was hard in a sense to like make ends meet all the time on that. And because we had horses and kids and it was a lot going on um, from the, from the jump. Um, but, um, but, but that's just but like someone available for the kids all the time is, it was like, that's an important part also. Mm. And so, um, when Bettina started doing well in real estate, it was like, well, I, that, that doesn't change the fact that someone needs to be available for the household all the time. And so, um, then it was like, well, I get, you know, I, I get to be the person who makes sure the fundamentals are taken care of. Right. And it's just like, we're going to have food that's cooked. We're going to have, and I'm going to make, and I'm going to make the best food I can make at the time also. Right. It's not, um, because I mean, it's just like being in a studio, you take pride in the things you do. You know, you take pride in your drawing. Well, you take pride in your meal and you make a good meal and you make, try to make it the best you can and with the best ingredients you can, you can afford so that you've got the healthiest meal for your family. Um, and all that stuff's important too. Right. And so it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter if the man does that or if the woman does that, like the, the, the household just needs it to be done. Mm. And so as long as you, and it, and there's all kinds of ways, right? It, you do it on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and on Sunday we eat leftovers or whatever. Right. Um, it just, but it, that, that has to get done. Do you, do you ever, that's like super like harmonious and like the ideal for sure. But I know some are thinking like, is it always like that? Or do you ever get frustrated or is there yeah, off no, balance with for sure. it? Yeah, sometimes I don't want to cook and I cook anyways. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, sometimes I cook and it seems like no one gives a shit, you know? And you're just like, well, you know, because it's... Uh, but Martin did a great thing. Professor Martin did a great thing when she's like, when I destroy your drawing in front of everyone, <laughs> I'm not destroying you. Your drawing isn't you, right? So don't hold, don't, you put a lot of work into it, but it like, don't, don't let it define you, right? And so mm. that's, that's, so you put a lot of effort into cooking a delicious meal and everyone's just like, thanks a lot, and then they run off. Uh, like it's, that's not me, right? That Like the meal isn't me. And whether or not they said, they always, they usually say thank you, but they said thank <laughs> you or whatever, right? It's just, you kind of, you can kind of, you got to kind of remind yourself of the, the fundamental reason was that they get the food, right? Like that's like the mission. This is kind of what I mean by mission first is like, I can, I can be upset that they didn't, I didn't get the reaction that I felt like I deserved for this delicious meal that I cooked, or 
I can remember that the mission was to provide the best meal possible. Yeah. And I know I did that. Wow. So mission accomplished, right? Now, yeah, that's ideal. That's an <laughs> ideal thought process when you're in an ideal you know, mind state, yeah. you know, and, you're in, and your mind's right and the food and everything, you know. Um, and so sometimes, and probably normally, it's like the, what would happen would be like a feeling of frustration that I didn't get whatever I thought I should get. And then you got to think, and you got to remind yourself of, oh, it's like, it's what I said. You have to remind yourself of the mission, right? It's not like I never had the feeling of, oh, why didn't you guys love me more? It was like, remember, doofus, that's not what you're doing this for, right? And so you got to remind yourself of that. And that's either in your own head or like podcasts. That's what podcasts, that's why people love them. <laughs> it's because typically it's not new information. It's just, it's maybe said in a different way. Right. Maybe. <laughs> Most of the time it's just, oh yeah, I forgot that. Mm. And that for me, this is, that's huge when it came to getting out of the comfort zone at the, when I was in, I totally forgot that that was my mindset. When I joined the army, it was like, I remember having conversations with Tina, but like, it's, you should get out of, you don't need to be in your comfort. You gotta, you know, that was, and that was my mindset. And somewhere I just completely forgot that. And I started listening to, I think it was a Joe Rogan podcast. And you're like, and then I hear people go talk about the comfort zone. It's not a place to, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that used to be my mindset. What happened <laughs> to my mindset, right? And so that was that was one of those awakening factors of like, just forget, just forget, you know, of um, the proper things to do, you know, mm. uh, for all kinds of reasons. I, again, I was not, I was in a terrible mind state at the time, terrible situation in my head. So, I, being able to think clearly, I guess that's probably why I should talking would have been a better option to like family and stuff, right? It didn't have to be a therapy. But the ability to communicate would have been very useful. Um, and communicating in some degrees is easy, but when you start talking about real shit, it's like, that's hard. You yeah, know? Like how honest are you going to get with what yeah. you're dealing with yeah. and how you share it? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. With, you know, and, and so, um, yeah. And so it, I, I definitely could have talked more and taken fewer pills and would have been in a bed, much better spot. But luckily I've got a great woman who's like, she's committed. And she's like, you, you know, I, I, yeah, you're, you, you're being a total, you're being a fuck up, but, it's like, I know you're not a fuck up, so stop. And that's what you got to hear sometimes, right? Because people get defined. I think this is a trap too. People, they they do something stupid. And then someone says, you're stupid. Because they see them do the stupid thing, right? And that person goes, yeah, I guess I'm stupid. Whereas if you, if you when you just back up a little bit, you can go, that was stupid, Mm. what you did and that can be totally honest that was a stupid thing that's different and the next thought isn't immediately that doesn't necessarily have to be then yes i'm stupid right the next thought can be yeah that was a stupid thing but i'm not stupid so i won't do that stupid thing anymore mm. right but it's so part of it is how the message is given obviously but you can't control that as a person you can only control how you deal with the message and so um so yeah, just when, when when someone says you're this or you're that, or you tell yourself I'm this or I'm that, you should probably just ex kind of abstract a little bit and go, well, it, was it really just a stupid thing that I did or said, or am I actually, you know, was it a was it a racist thing? Well, am I a racist or did I do say a racist thing? Right? Um, am I a bigot or did I say a bigoted thing? Right? Yeah. Those two. That's not. And in today's world, you say a bigoted thing, you're a bigot. You say a racist thing, you're a racist, right? It's 
but that's not true. Yeah, and it's more of a gray area too. And and part of like why I wanted to start uh, the podcast was you know the things that the things that we tell ourselves and how we believe them and the things yeah. that others tell us and mm-hmm. we believe them mm-hmm. and then working through that to figure out like what do I actually believe and how is this making me better right and yeah. I, that's what I just hear because a lot of times when people are telling you to not do something or you're not good at something they don't follow it up with something encouraging in mm-hmm. the sense that yeah you're like you know you're sowing a seed into them that okay you might not be doing it good now but you have the capability I believe in you mm-hmm. or yeah. And with that, like, that's ideal, you know. Yeah, but, but you should never expect anyone right. to ever do that. Right. It's an ideal. But um, but just I think that does go a long way mm-hmm. when – and I think we should start to have the license to do that, especially, like, if we're saying somebody's not good at something. Mm-hmm. How can you, like, well, also you balance – I'll, I'll make the proclamation. You all have the license to do that. Because you can't yeah. control what people say to you. You can't control right. what people come to you. With it. But what you can control is how you then say that to other people. Cause you're going to be on the other side of that equation sometimes. And you're going to be like, you're stupid. <laughs> right. And right. is, you know, when just, uh, just that was stupid is a total different phrase, right? Mm. It's, it's a total different thing from you're stupid to that was stupid. That's Martin telling you that drawing sucks instead of saying you suck. It's like having an objective. Right. It's just looking at the actual thing. Look at the actual evidence. Don't, and don't, don't then apply that back onto the person because like if it's a pattern, like if it's yeah. every drawing sucks, right? <laughs> then it's like, well, maybe you're just not good. Maybe you're not good at drawing. Now, there's a bajillion reasons why you might be not be good at drawing, right? Um, so, and it's hard for me to say that you'll never be good at drawing, but you're going to have to put in a lot of work, right? Mm. Maybe, right? Again, an honest thing, right? But if, but also, but again, if it's like that's a stupid thing, five year olds do stupid things all the time, and you can go, oh, that was a dumb thing, wasn't it, kid? And they go. Yeah, and I go, why well, was it dumb? Uh, yeah, I fell off the roof and it hurt. And you're like, well, yeah. So you maybe was was falling off the roof dumb or was being on the roof dumb, right? And I'm like, well, probably being on the roof was probably the first, you know. And so you can teach, you can use all of those situations. Totally, just blows them away as a, mm-hmm. as a kid, right? You just they never want to do anything wrong again. Like it's just it's terrible. And so um, where you know, so reckon we all do dumb things. Um, it doesn't mean you're a dummy forever. And then move, you know, and just and say it like that to people, and instead of being, but it's not, even, but especially on the internet, it's much more fun to be like, he's an idiot, and he's just a this, and he's just a that, and then I get to put him in a box, and then that's who they are, and then if you don't believe me, then listen to what he said, mm. one time, for like ten seconds, you know, <laughs> so uh, that's yeah. yeah, that's a great, great, uh, a great outlook, and as we wrap up, yeah. I want to wrap up with the the question. That, um, what would you say is uh, one one belief that you think would make the world a better place? One belief, like if everyone believed a thing, what would if if everyone believed if everyone believed that their actions affect the whole the whole the whole thing? Mm. If everyone believed that every action they took had an effect on the whole ecosystem and not just their own ecosystem. If everyone believed that, uh, yeah, I think we'd probably, um, that's hard to say. One belief. If everyone, I guess, it, you, well, if everyone believed in God, I mean, mm. I guess is what it ultimately ends up with. I don't know how else you go. You know, everyone believed that there was, uh, 
that there that there was a, like a creator who's like I made this world and if you act like this in the world this will happen mm. right and he's like I made this whole thing and all you have to do is act in a certain way and then things will work out well and if you act in another way things don't work out so well um, here's a heaven and a hell I guess yeah so uh, if you just had a, a, a belief in doesn't that not not saying the Christian God or the Jewish God or the Muslim God or the, just whatever God of all just uh, <laughs> if, yeah if everybody if just believe that there was a God and that um, there's a right and wrong way to do things. Um, we'd still have debates about what that was, but I think we'd probably, at least we'd be starting with the understanding that there is something, <laughs> there is a moral north, mm. you could say, and um, and that uh, we should all try to yeah go towards that. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that uh, answer. Thank you for yeah coming on to the podcast. It was it's been fun. A, pl- a pleasure. It's fun. Um, a long time coming. Yeah, we look to have you on and even... I know we have some of the works where I get hop on your uh, right. podcast, so looking forward to that. But um, for the people, if they want to find you, where can oh, they find you? Jeez, uh, well, I'm <laughs> I'm on Instagram, uh, Dreadbeard with threes for ease. So yeah, see if you we'll have it out. in the notes. Yeah, yeah. Dreadbeard <laughs> with threes for ease. Um, I'm on YouTube, I guess technically with my fuck some of the videography. So when I do drone video, I put them on YouTube and send the link. That's the kind of the easiest way everyone understands YouTube. But Jesse Conway photography. I'm actually on Instagram too, Jessica Conway Photography. Same thing. Um, yeah, we'll go with that. All right. Thank you guys. And until next time, 